Hello and welcome to another episode of the Friday Tech Roundup Roundup where myself, Eloisa Tovey and Andy Teb. Hello. Um, we're going to be walking you through this week's news and we're actually really excited about it. There's a lot of social stuff that happened this week as I'm sure you're all aware. Um, so yeah, let's just jump straight in with the five pieces covered in this week's Friday Tech Roundup. Number one is, uh, again, perhaps the top story, not only in the tech world, but probably news outlets across the world. Um, billions of users were unable to access Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp for hours on end whilst the social media giant scrambled to restore services. Um, they did, in fact, issue a statement on Tuesday confirming the cause of the outage was a configuration change to the backbone routers that coordinate network traffic between company data centers. Uh, this change had essentially told the border gateway protocol for a series of updates that those passed to Facebook no longer existed bringing Facebook and all of its services to a grind and halt, including the security passes for their colleagues to get back into the building and also um, deny them access to their own communications platform to be able to, basically, it prevented them from being able to solve the issue at a speed of pace that you'd expect from an agile corporation. Um, yeah, reports they had to use an angle grinder to get into the server cages as a result are unconfirmed. Are you joking me? I'm to yeah, no, I'm key joking. And lock. I'm oh, joking. right. <laughs> yeah. But it was about that bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Surely they've got eye identification at that point. Which um, would be running through the same system. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my, this is, yeah, absolutely crazy. So this is like one of the things that comes up a lot, isn't it, is if you digitize digital... Digitize. Digitize everything. Mm. Or, but it's not even digitize everything. It's they, they run everything through one single system, so they have one point of failure. Yeah, it's kind of kind of a good argument for off-cloud, isn't it? Because this is, like where we were talking about that previously, this is what that would look like. Mm. The moment you go, oh, I'm stood here, I've made a change, I haven't got the rights to fix it, so I'll phone the guy who's on call who goes, I can't get to you because everything is rooted through that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll come down to fix it. And because it's a big country, it took a while to get there. And then he goes to get into the building, but he can't because the swipe card system is going through it. You'd also discover the vending machines if it had gone a much longer payroll, email, communication, literally everything. It's your nightmare scenario. It's why us very, 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 very boring people who work in things like banks understand about segregation of infrastructure and stuff because where that goes wrong you end up in the kind of you know <clears throat> that west mainframe territory that was so horrible for everyone a good few years ago like yeah. where they almost stopped being a bank and this is a good example of what would happen if one of those cloud providers really 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 went wrong and also the part of like if you're going to modernize that's fine but what's ironic about this is that they ended up relying on an internet relay chat which is a protocol created mm. back in the 1980s right? oh, I, I say you can tell it's uh, i can't actually remember the number i think it's it's in the hundreds but it's low down in the ip protocol stat, uh, port numbers yeah, i mean yeah. it's it's old stuff <laughs> it's not kind of, it's not like not quite a 25 SMTP or FTP, but it's it's low. Yeah, but it works. And this is the thing, you know, so they, like WhatsApp, they said, has obviously been built on a similar infrastructure. It's just obviously more modernized mm -hmm. um, today and so obviously more used on. But again, if you're Facebook and you happen to own WhatsApp and then that's platforms down as well, you've kind of shot yourself in both kneecaps and uh, trying to bite someone else's kneecaps off. So um, it's incredible. Again, also that just the pace of trying to get this solved and i think what was astonishing is you we talk about a lot of uh, like continuous feedback loops and obviously put in um, measured in place and what was really interesting and we'll come onto the story in a bit more detail later mm. but the um the whistleblower for facebook uh 
security walls basically was in Congress earlier this week. And one of her things was saying that they were almost encouraged not to put, um, what are they called? Uh, not to put, ah, oh, come on, Ellie, think, think, yeah, not to put... Um, checks, breaks. Checks um, in place to basically, um, because they didn't have enough people on hand to be able to do the fixes as they came in. They didn't have enough as yeah. it was. So to actually put in automated checks and protocols into place to make sure that this sort of stuff was caught earlier, they said, like, actually, they ignored that or they, it was kind of actively discouraged um, because the teams didn't have the support they needed to address any concerns that came up, yep. which is troubling um, and perhaps would have, like, solved this issue. But I mean, if you want to see an organisation that struggles with sort of, sort of like modern life, Facebook is it. You know, they just, I mean, their core values used to include move fast and break things. Mm. And then they broke things. A lot of things. And it was a big <laughs> outage and they changed it to move fast. What do you know? Turns out you can still break things because it's more than just having the value in them. Yeah. Um, and this look. is really important because I think that, like, people think Facebook is just your Aunt Vivian, like, moaning about neighborhood watch. But it's not. There are businesses who use this on a daily basis, you know, hourly basis. There are. Um... How do you authenticate? You link to your Facebook profile. Absolutely. Most people make payments. There's Facebook Marketplace. You know, if they're going to compete with Amazon, they need to have that same level of rigor. <laughs> Fundamentally, it turns out you've got to actually be good at executing technology. And yes, this stuff can happen to anyone. It does happen to anyone. I spend huge chunks of my life staying up until 1am fixing things that should never have gone wrong because someone did something stupid. Yeah. But to have a bad change be this foundational speaks to some kind of immature selves. You know? Um, that's fine. Everyone laughs when it happens in a bank and goes, mm, you guys are so behind the times. This is one of the big four companies, tech companies in the world. Yeah. These guys lead the way. And in terms of symptom, you know, I guess, I guess if if hubris was a news story, this would be it, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been covered a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And again, we um, the link that we dropped in this week for the Fight Tech Roundup was the Guardian's piece, and it just outlines kind of what went wrong, why the outage took so long, and I think that also links through to another piece again about why DNS um, and the border gateway protocols are really important in this, and actually mm. from an infrastructure point of view, why it was such a critical point of failure for facebook um i mean there's instance. an interesting point there. the top tier of dns for the world so basically the sort of progenitor dns servers that govern all name services in the world were up for auction a while back because the company that owned them sort of sold them off and oracle bought now i have lots of problems with oracle <laughs> um but you know they feel a bit more trustworthy with that because facebook were bidding to yeah. Now, if that had gone out, nowhere on the internet would have been able to root because that would have cascaded down. Jeez. So they got a flight. We got a flight. <laughs> we got a flight. <laughs> oh, anyway, hey ho. Hey ho, indeed. And again, they're back and running out, but um, we'll see kind of what changes we put in place now. Thank goodness, my uh, my crazy uncle's vaccine research can go back on track. <laughs> yeah. Um. Up number two, we have Experience Engineering Celebrated CX Day by hosting a webinar aptly named Is CX Dying? Um, CX Day is actually a day. I did I this looks up. Um, sadly, no food orientated around it. They really no. need to add like a donut as a mascot or something. But If there was, the experience would be amazing, but only for customers. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so donuts aside, uh, on the panel was industry pioneers Colin Shaw, Lou Carb. 
Bone and Joe Pine. Um, and they kind of walked us through the past, present and future of CX. So they've been around for well, 20 years up, mm-hmm. um, all respectively. And what was interesting about it is, again, this idea of a CX officers were coming through and the fact that they're a kind of a new role yeah. in the business, but they're still seen as reporters rather than leaders. So how are organizations kind of facing that challenge? Mm. Other things they spoke about was reestablishing the moral obligation of a company to put value before profit. And I think, again, Facebook is a really good example of that, that perhaps they were trying to evolve too quickly or trying to be the forefront of product design and product launches that perhaps they just move too fast. As you mentioned, mm. they can take away the break things, but you're going to break still things Still move, yeah, still. So, still gonna checks and balances can be used. Absolutely. Um, and I was really like, I missed it uh, on the main, on the live event. I think it was actually fully subscribed. So I managed to capture a recording of it, but it's really worthwhile listening to you. One thing to note is Lou Carbone is very much on a different time zone. So um, you do have a couple of 20 second breaks where you can scribble down notes, which I found helpful. Um, Was but... he transmitting from Mars? Or <laughs> why, why the 20 seconds? <laughs> yeah. I was like, slow down guys. Yeah. No. Um, and I kind of joked earlier that he spoke a little bit like Christopher Walken as well. Yeah. So uh, yeah, maybe, the actor. Maybe that's it. He's very threatening. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. The, um, I mean, you know, it was interesting. Uh, there was some good approach of some of the more you know fundamental existential questions to ask themselves i i did you know the is cx dying it's like is this is this a is this a buzzfeed clickbait article <laughs> you know like, one amazing cx trick my mum couldn't believe you know it was that kind of thing but um when you actually listen to it it, it was kind of interesting i think this whole dynamic about are we leaders, not reporters? It's a, it's a common trope in IT, the you know, big existential questions about should the CIO be on the board? Well, it depends what you do, right? Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think it's a similar argument for this. Should should the CX officer be on the board? What do you do? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the conversation that you need to be having. And for some organisations where customer service is, sorry, <laughs> should never say customer service, where customer experience <laughs> Yeah. Uh, is uh, key. Um, there's an argument even that the CX officer shouldn't exist because it should be part of the portfolio of every single person. And it's really uh, interesting you say because mm. Colin was saying that despite mm. all the investment and attention, like mm. CX itself was stagnating, and that was um, came mm. from a report from Forrester a few years back. But what he's saying is like CX isn't necessarily dying; it's just being absorbed because yeah. it should factor into everything. So it's not just the case of yeah. you don't just focus at CX siloed from everything else. You look at how you can build in again, a more seamless yeah. experience for somebody through your platforms or you make sure that your UI is more user-friendly and it's just building in CX through those. And that's a very important point around the UI. You know, if you speak to, I'm, I'm sure our sister company method would have a, a perspective on this, but sadly um, I was only able to talk to Charles, our uh, UX guild lead, and his <laughs> view was like, well, actually it's all UX. Hey, it's just some go. of them happen to be customers. Yeah. So, you know, is the CX UX distinction and it actually useful? Plus, yeah. he hates the label UX. So he's, like, <laughs> I mean, he's a guild lead, but he's like, my, my entire existence of being is wrong. Yeah. Um, Just having experience on everything. Yeah, you can see people kind of in the bubble having the conversation about it because, you know, where you talk about CX, it's, it's like, what are you incentivizing people on? I think there's a real tendency, and sometimes you have to challenge the behaviors of people within CX itself, because what they're interested in is making the customer's experience great, but yeah. they think in terms of an interaction, yeah. not always in terms of a journey. And, 
you know, depending, again, depending on your customer and what sphere you're in. So we do a lot of work with banks, as I'm sure we've mentioned occasionally. And for them, you know, we're increasingly coming to the view that really good CX is eliminating the CX. Mm -hmm. So if you've got your money, it's kind of like at the base of that Maslow's hierarchy of needs because of the way we've organized our society because the money gets you the shelter and the food and all that good stuff. So you want it to be dull. You yeah. just want it to be a given. So if you think about why do people contact me, no one should ever speak to you for a balance update because it should be easy to get, but they shouldn't really care because their money should be looking after itself. Yeah. When it comes to have I been paid, you want them to receive that as a notification as to when they've been paid, mm-hmm. not them going into their mobile app six times a day to go, have I been paid, have I been paid. You want it to be predictable. And we would argue that then creates the space for the genuinely exceptional moments that someone has to phone you mm-hmm. for your, your staff to be able to provide the exceptional service that situation needs to calm them down, to go, don't worry, I've got yeah. them on top of it, I can tell you what's going on. But if your entire raise and data is customer experience, how much is it going to occur to you that real, maybe a really good customer experience is eliminating customer experience? So interesting. And I think what um, you built on really nicely there is Colin touched on to it as well um, on the actual webinar. And he talks about emotions that drive most value in CX. And funny enough, it's not always happiness. So whilst mm. happiness sits at the top of the pyramid, there are so many other emotions that you're trying to feed. And one of those could be contentment. One of those yeah. could be that you're being cared for and yeah. um, that you're valued. And so it's taking a look at what your customers, it's not what they're telling you they need. It's what they actually need. And I think that's where AI mm. can kind of step in and help with that. Um, but it also means caring about your customers enough to to give them the attention that they need and, and about understanding your products. Right? Yeah, I've got I've got friends who um, just wonderfully well travelled, and and she'll spend an entire evening in it's a joy on the phone with um, flight scanner, and um, they'll give you the tips around like, well, yeah, you could change at Lyon uh, on the train, but let's let's actually give you a bit more time because it says you can get from one platform to the other in 15 minutes but on the Eurostar you've got to go up and down I've done it myself let's let's get you a 40 minute break there so you can take your time because it makes for a more pleasant travel experience and stuff it's the kind of thing where you want to be dealing with someone but you want to deal with someone really knowledgeable and yeah. nice who because you're planning your holiday <laughs> when it comes to have I been paid can I cover that bill what's going on with my mortgage payments you just want that stuff to work yeah, absolutely right? yeah 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 you know, if it's about Halfords and your bike, you just like a steer about what to do and what's easy and where can I go? You know, each of these things has a different requirement. But yeah, hey ho. Hey ho. I think also what's really interesting, and again, I think perhaps because we just operate in the FS space, mm. MPS comes up a lot. And I think mm-hmm. it's a good benchmark for our um, people within the FS space to kind of see how they're doing against others. But obviously yeah. it's completely subjective to the customer's point of view, right? Um, and what companies are saying is that, or sorry, this podcast, the argument was we should be focusing less on NPS. NPS is not a good um, measure of success for a company. You find it's good to kind of move up the, the rankings a little bit. But actually, what you should be looking for instead is um, making sure that your CX leadership is to increase revenue, reduce costs and improve culture. And if you're not doing that and all your entire focus is on NPS, you've missed the mark already. So- I, I, I agree. But, I, but it's. It feels like a, you know, a point that is begging the question that no one asked, you know, because it's like, I mean, I think if you went to a load of companies and said, so your uh, only measure for success is MPS, they would all sit there and go, no, because we're not insane. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, MPS is, you know, 
I do think he's very important, but I, I might agree that there's an overemphasis on it. But I definitely agree because I'm not an idiot that it's not the only thing that should be mentioned me, uh, measured. Yeah. Um, you know, we've spoken about this before about what is customer trust, what you know does, in my opinion, Nationwide Building Society present the best service of any financial institution for me personally. No. But their customers love them. Yeah. Absolutely love them. And their scores are off the charts. And I suspect the demographic and the archetypes they, they serve yeah. would be grossly unhappy with some of the financial institutions I work with. Yeah. And uh, sorry, like I'm a customer of. So it's like, I think MPS and CSAT are very important for knowing how satisfied your customers are with the service that you're providing. Mm-hmm. Is it a useful comparison organization to organization? Possibly less so, unless you're very clear that it is limited to how satisfied are your customers with your service. Absolutely. It is not a measure of who is providing the best customer service. Because, yeah. my goodness, the number of books on what is good customer service, <laughs> you know, because good customer service isn't appropriate for all people. So, yeah, revenue should be in there, agent satisfaction should be in 100%, there, yep. MPS, CSAT, all that good stuff, yes, but the yeah, I mean, there's a couple of, like I say, it was a little bit buzzfeedy in terms of sucking you in and saying some controversial <laughs> stuff. And they, uh, you know, we shouldn't only get measured on MPS. Well, yeah. It did feel as well, like, um, I'm sure Colin has conviction in what he was saying, but it yeah. did feel like perhaps he'd been, he'd drawn this short straw, right, and was having to uh, fight the corner. Here are um, a series of points I have to make. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, to make this a proper debate. But exactly. it is really worth, um, yeah. really worth a listen. Yeah. And uh, yeah, let us know if you kind of, had any more takeaways from that mm. that we didn't cover today mm. um number three back over to facebook uh the whistleblower breaks down facebook's security wall and she claims facebook is facing more bankruptcy uh francis hogan i believe her name is um faced congress earlier this week to give evidence against the social network for repeatedly prioritizing growth over safety something we've obviously just spoken about mm. um, and its role in tearing our societies apart and that very much is focused on the democracy and uh the kind of tunnel vision that they mm-hmm. create through the adverts and algorithms interestingly Halgan said that facebook is aware of the harms that platforms causes but doesn't believe dismantling the corporation would do any good she believes that the algorithms will reportedly continue to be dangerous even if they're broken up um, and she acknowledges that the company has invested more than any other platform in issues of safety, even if they are often unwilling to ask basic questions. <laughs> However, there was also, so that's kind of the high level. Um, having done a little bit more in like research into the interview, she does come out to say that it's the algorithms can't be fixed now. They're kind of beyond a point where you either pull the plug to start again, mm-hmm. but actually incremental changes at this point, mm-hmm. it's gone far beyond mm-hmm. Facebook's control. And so the fact that she's turned around and said, it's wow. not going to be good to dismantle them, fine. Yeah. We're definitely all in agreement here. Regulation is needed. And there's obviously been a massive push for um, lawmakers to work harder to get that in place. But equally, the fact that she then almost supports the fact that they're investing more on any other platform and issues of safety. But surely that only matters if you're going to act on the kind of reports you get mm. and the stats you get from that. As I get seen. the impression, so I, uh, I mean, incredibly brave, right? Because any whistleblower is always going to be in a tough spot. Mm-hmm. Um, never be a female whistleblower. Because, well, uh, you know, not You're only, obviously in it for the money. Yeah, not only are you going to get all the horrible digs, but also a load of comment about your appearance as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the best one I saw was um, she, she, donated to the Democrats four times. Just like out there with like a bullet point dick. 
And it was very funny because actually a lot of Republican commentators clamped down on the commentator who'd made that point because they were like, no, 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 we're all against them. <laughs> like, we're against them as well. This yeah. is not your off message. Yeah. Stop it. it was like <laughs> yeah. amazing. But it was like that. I mean, nice that track. is the kind nice. of shit they'll think all through. You know, yeah. it's just terrible. But they also undermine what uh, she did at the, the job, mm, right? So there's a lot of um, talk about well, kind of her role in Facebook not yeah. being of any importance. And Yeah. And I, I, I think, I think the, the point she was trying to make, uh, you know, I mean, it's great. And none of this is new. No. We, we know all this. The reality is that in the sad world we live in is that it's not going to get any traction until you can put a face in front of a microphone in the Senate yep. revealing the story. Because every journalist who covers anything to do with politics, mm-hmm. and it's more of a politics and a tech problem, is waiting for that Watergate moment where it's revealed. Yeah. You know, there's a real problem with Donald Trump and Twitter with this. It was like, no, 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 he's saying the crimes in the open on a platform in front of lots of people. Yeah. They don't believe it unless they're getting given the evidence by a guy in a car park because it can't be this easy, right? Mm-hmm. And this was similar. Everything she was saying, we kind of knew about. There was some new interesting detail. But I got the impression that she still believes that a lot of the people that she works with are terribly well-intentioned but just enormously cack-handed on the ethical front yeah. and you're kind of like yeah but there's a point at which you're a grown-up and you've got to take that on the chin and this whole conversation about should we break it up or not well there are very good specialists around that i'd be really interested in hearing from someone like elizabeth warren who spent a lot of her political career looking at you know does antitrust type stuff apply here she'll have a good insight does it mean that the algorithms they're not like worms or millipedes coming out of a can or something and once you break it open now they're escaped and in the wild you could still break the companies up and deal with the ai problem what does ai give you it gives you like a curated news feed and what what stories to promote and stuff we're sat in a world where whether it's genocide in burma potential genocide in places like kenya election interference terrible misogyny being the platform upon which people like the Christchurch shooter can live stream their mass killing event, but we're weighing that up against a slightly impacted user experience by taking some algorithms out of how your newsfeed is. What a know, time to be alive. Exactly. <laughs> and you're like, well, you know, it's a very difficult call to make. You're like, yeah, it yeah. really isn't. No. But everyone acts like this is the thing, you can off. still see content. It's just you're not seeing as highly, um, oh, what's the word? It's it's the bit where they go, we're displaying the most relevant, not Absolutely. the most recent. And I remember the howls on Twitter mm. when that happened. They were yeah. like, well, I can't find the most recent. And it's what they choose to promote and what don't they? Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, this is not safe at any speed. No. I think it was John Lovett on Pod Save America who kept making that point years ago. Facebook is not safe at any speed with these algorithms. Yeah. And we're being told that we can't take these algorithms offline because it would really change the user experience, which they chose to change a few years back to use the algorithms to generate more revenue. Yeah. At the end of the day, people die because of this platform. Yeah, Teenage girls find themselves crying away. I have to watch Nick Clegg come out like he stood in front of a fireworks factory that's exploding behind him going nothing to see here (laughs) i mean if you want a modern day display of the banality of evil that was written about the nazis it is this it is nice people baby stepping their way into doing some of the most evil things Mm. and everyone would say that's an overreaction but this platform in terms of the outcomes that it delivers 
is as close to modern day evil as you can get. Is it because, like, again, they obviously adopt an agile framework within Facebook, and it's the point that not everything's owned by everyone, right? So there's not people are owning such small parts of a very big yeah, process. A hundred percent. And so, like, and I know that it, she just kept putting um, Halgan in Congress, kept saying the buck, hmm. uh, sorry, the buck stops uh, stops with Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And whilst Mark Zuckerberg absolutely has ultimate say over everything, you can't believe he has yeah. his finger in every pile that operates across Facebook, yeah. WhatsApp, and Instagram. So there has to be a point, she said, where you're responsible adults if you're seeing what's going on here. And this is exactly what um, Halgan did. She said, I read a report. I wasn't, couldn't believe it was happening. We were getting, we were getting disincentivized to try and set up checks and balances mm. within uh, Facebook to make sure that we Which, would... bearing in mind, anyone from the outside looking in can see is the case. Yeah, absolutely. But because they believe in the mission, they're sat inside that little bubble going, mm. oh, we need a report. Yep. And then they're somehow dumbfounded that they chose to ignore it. Yeah, but this is the thing. And so by the sounds of things, Instagram for kids or Instagram for teenagers, that's a profit. Well, there's no value add there. And again, going back to that CX, CX has, there has to be a moral obligation there where you're putting value first. You're making sure that you are bringing value into the world, mm. not just profit. And I think this is what dismantled Facebook recently and why they've mm. been in the news three times this week, yeah. four times this week, um, for varying things, but all very troubling. And it just brings us back to that, was it the Social Dilemma podcast, and the podcast documentary that we spoke about recently? And just people have known about this for a long time. Yeah. The it's reports not news. Are, no, yeah, it's yeah. not news, absolutely. Yeah. It's just come into attention. And again, it takes someone, as you said, a brave whistleblower to kind of say, look, I'm not okay with this. We yeah. really need intervention to take part. But, and... but it's terrible that we're asking someone to effectively sacrifice her career like she yeah. is. But to yeah. be that face so that a news organisation can hang something. All this information is out there. Yep. We know all this. It is terrible. Yeah. You can read the values of Facebook and like any other company of their scale and what they do, mm. somehow nowhere in the values is that make a shed ton of cash. Yeah. Now, anyone looking from the outside in can tell you what the motivation of Facebook is, it's to make a shed ton of cash. Yeah. And it's that utter hypocrisy of we're bringing people close together. Oh, cool, you go give it away for free. Oh, no, right, okay. Yeah. You know, like, it's just awful that we're genuinely in a place where we've got a platform that drives genocide yeah. in Burma. Sorry, Myanmar. I often do that, so I yeah. probably get to the point where I'm going Kenya or something, like I'm <laughs> sat there drinking a gin tea on the veranda. But the point is, though, I that... can confirm uh, Andy's drinking a coffee. That's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, but they, um, you know, in Myanmar, they're driving, driving genocide, and they're going, yeah, but it would really impact the user experience in, like, Manchester if we switched off that algorithm. Cool. Yeah. I'm good with that. Absolutely. And this is what's weird about it, isn't it? Because where do we go from here? So I'd argue that Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp are relatively optimised as it is. And absolutely, they're going to have to keep modernising as different things happen in the world to keep up with the world, right? But they don't have to. We don't but need it. Exactly. The what more do we need from it? Uh, the, the platform seems to do what the platform does very well. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that it does come down to the algorithms. But do we need, again, like if I click on, I, I actually tried to trick my algorithm the other day and it worked very well. I got bored. I'm 29 years old. I'm engaged. I'm about to get married. And all I'm seeing is either weight loss yeah. um, kind of tips and tricks, uh, diet shakes. I see um, makeup. I see surgeries. I, I get yeah, um, marriage. They would rather you be an archetype, not a demographic. Yeah. yeah. 
And it's, it's awful. And I just find that I'm sat there going, it's ridiculous. And occasionally one puppy thing pops up. And I'm like, right, so I tricked her. I just every puppy thing I, cl- mm. I clicked on. And within a couple of days, all I was seeing was St. Bernard puppies, mm. which, trust me, is a much better image to wake up mm. to in the morning. And Rather you can, than the one that constantly chips away at yourself today. Absolutely. And yeah. you kind of feel that I'm, again, 29, so I feel that my... I'm a confident in and of myself. But if you're a 15 year old girl, and I know this is what the report yeah. found, 15 year old girl, and you've already got some insecurities. What you're finding is you you'll click on something out of interest, and that will trigger to the algorithm. Oh, they want more of this. And yeah. I think one thing that really frightens me personally, and it, you've seen it when they were doing the Brexit yeah. um, campaign, you've seen it during other elections yeah. over in America. People can get very tunnel visioned, yeah. and it's because all you're being shown is things that you want to see. Yeah. And I think to keep society fair and democratic, and having all the information to hand, you need to be able to offer a diverse set of opinions and views of the world. And the only way you can do that is by showing people things that they wouldn't necessarily search for, or they wouldn't necessarily... Broaden their horizons. Broaden their horizons, yeah. That whole thing about, you know, maybe if a teenage girl clicks on a weight loss thing, um, that's what she wants to see. Yeah. That isn't how they think. No. They're like, that is what she will engage with. Absolutely, yeah. And that is the fundamental bit of it. Whether that makes her happy or not, they don't care. They want to. How can we keep it in it. the platform? Yeah. yeah. How, can we, how can we suck someone in, right? Yeah. Twitter's pretty naughty with their click the button and get the tiny little endorphin brush. They yeah. know what they're doing. Facebook know what they're doing. Yeah. They want you to engage with that platform. If that engagement is a spiral of despair, they don't care. No. They never ask themselves that question. And this is awful. I know people who work at Facebook, and in many ways, they're not evil. Yeah. They're working for this organisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Knowing what's going on. I work for organisations that launder money for drug cartels. Oh, I test. actually feel less bad about that. Because right? <laughs> <laughs> fewer teenagers feeling this bad, right? And yeah. at least they got caught. Yeah. You know, that there is just this madness about the whole thing. And you do feel like you're screaming into the void. But even this well-intentioned whistleblower where they're there saying, well, I don't think you can necessarily fix the algorithm, so you just have to switch them off. And you just want the entire world to go, okay. Yeah, go on then. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's posed as though it's this really difficult ethical thing. Where it's yeah. like, could we live without that algorithm? Hate to break it to you, but your life's work will impact no one a jar if you switch it off. Facebook is not life. And I think that's why like, people think like Facebook is the internet. Facebook is not the internet. Facebook is not a source of information. It is a source of information. It's not the source of information. And in we ter- can detach from it. In terms of, in terms of, Tipping points and stuff. You can draw the line any way you want, really. But for me, the thing that really brought it home was during Brexit, the political adverts that they put out that were highly targeted to people. Mm. So I would never see these adverts. Yeah, yeah. Were just lies. Okay. So they sent out adverts that were just lies because they saw it as not their job to fact check this stuff. Now, I couldn't see that and therefore challenge it because mm-hmm. they're not targeting it to me. They're targeting it to someone else. Great. Well done. When journalists have to go and see those, yeah. well, oh, we don't store them. So there was wow. no record anywhere of what lies had been shown oh, to people. Yeah, yeah. And they were sat there going, yeah, we should probably look at that. You're like, it's too late. Yeah. Broke democracy. But also from a marketing perspective, surely you'd want kind of some sort of data around how well you're I'm successful. You're sure the only organisation. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's so got this Facebook data, someone, yeah. Oh, Facebook, it. I see what you mean. And you don't, well, who bought the advert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you haven't got, no one's reporting this to a journalist for them to go, well, that's clearly wrong, right? Yeah. In the old days, when you put an ad on ITV and it was a lie, 
or a billboard it was stripped down yeah a bunch yeah. of journalists could see it and yeah. they could go that's wrong because yeah. they weren't even aware it was happening because they weren't the target audience it's so scary and these organizations like oh we've accidentally created this thing at what point do you say one you'll clap apples yeah and two I don't care whether you meant to do it or not. Yeah. But also, if you guys world. listen, aren't scared about this, you really should be because, yeah. like, this is just happening under the radar. When I'm very ineptly whispering about why AI that's out of control is bad, it is this. It's this. What's interesting, though, I don't know if you saw um, this week, but Twitter released a new function where it prompts you if you they think you're about to get into a fight on yeah. Twitter. So I thought, well, fight's a bit of a strong word, but they get into a, a disagreement with another Twitter user. And I kind of feel like surely that's part of the platform's purpose, right, is to kind of start these conversations. And apparently now they just, yeah, flag of... They, they are kind of leaning into the, uh, we're the more ethical choice. They do know, though. <laughs> I mean, they have a blue bird they, as, their, uh, as their logo. They do know. And, you know, I'm obviously a rational human being and therefore never get into pointless discussions with people <laughs> on Twitter about why they are wrong. Um, they, they know. They're going to prompt that up and go, you're, you're getting into an argument. Yeah. Well, at that point, you're seeing red and go, fine, no. <laughs> Don't you get involved, Twitter. Yeah, so it's it's kind of performative yeah. social responsibility. <laughs> it's like where gambling companies go, stop and think, do you really want to bet? Yeah, when the stop, stop, fun yeah. stop, stop. Yeah, exactly. It's like, does that really fit? I mean, drink responsibly, does that? You know, maybe for someone who's like having three pints, fine. Well, do you really need that for? Well, maybe not. If you're a problem drinking, you just got to get out of my way. <laughs> yes, same with gambling. And same with this situation. It's like, I understand, but David followed by eight numbers is wrong. And I have mm. to explain to him why he doesn't understand the difference between GMP and GDP. Yeah. That's Twitter life, right? It's the most pointless thing on the planet. But also, like, I do Instagram. I set myself a... Um... I'm addicted to it, by the way. But it's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Instagram, I set myself a timer. And it will tell me, you spent 20 minutes on Instagram. Because yeah. actually, if you sit down and go, Ellie, how long do you want to spend on this platform? Yeah. That's it. That's what I want to give up my life, 20 yeah. minutes a day. That doesn't happen. I'm like, you get a little flash at twenty minutes a day. You're like, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. And that's it. That's the only time we see that notification in the day. And now Instagram are probably patting themselves on the back, being like, but mm. we reminded them we did the good mm. thing here. And but we feels they should just close down the whole app and be like, Ellie, you're off now. Our, our brightest minds used to research pharmaceuticals and how to send people to the moon. Then in the eighties, <laughs> our brightest minds became traders on Wall Street. Yeah. And then from the nineties until recently, our brightest minds are about how to drive ad revenue on. Yeah, I've met people. That is a damning indictment of our society and our values. Hey ho. Hey ho. Let's leave this one here. I think we've talked about this all day. Mm. Um, number four. Not cla- really talking more rounds. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sure, it's the whole point of this uh, podcast. This- it's nice that brought the world together. Everyone agrees Facebook is bad. Yes. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um launched the latest global C-suite security survey. Uh, they surveyed 500 C-suite executives globally about the state of their organization's supply chain software supply chain. <laughs> Uh, results reveal C-suite executives are giving supply chain security the attention it deserves, but there are numerous red flags, some of which are 64% of respondents say it would take more than four hours, four days to fix a problem. I mean, that's that's terrible when you look at Facebook taking six hours to hmm. reopen the world. Um, 45% are only half of the way... Uh, uh, blah, blah. 45% are only half of the way finished securing their software supply chain. That's terrifying. Hmm. And almost two-thirds wouldn't know who to turn to if an issue occurred. These... Br- brilliant survey this clearly just sucked them in with a load of easy questions that got them to say yeah would they good and then <laughs> yeah. these stats came out yeah, absolutely um it's a really good read and as you mm. said like obviously cloud bees this is what they do um mm. so this kind of stuff supports the work that they 
do and the yeah. tools that they provide. Um, but it's just scary that, again, you've got the industry. The, this is coming from the industry. This is self-proclaimed. I mean, I was kind of okay with the numbers themselves in isolation. You know, the, the, the are you secure? How long would it take? I mean, how serious is the outage? Yeah, maybe four days. If it's four days of the thing that covers the seat booking system, who cares? If it's four days, equal services, maybe that is a big issue. But... Mm-hmm. The bit that really scared me was those opening questions where they clearly lulled people into a false sense of security. Ninety-five <laughs> percent of respondents said their supply chain was secure. Ninety percent were saying that they have the skills to supply security and that they were ninety percent compliant. Ninety percent believe they'd be very comfortable dealing with ransomware or cyber attack. I've stood <laughs> in ops rooms when online banks have been hit by DDoS attacks, and they've got some of the best security in the world no one there is comfortable watching this wave of hits come in you know they go close sometimes and of course it's a game of bluff with the hackers as to did you get close or did you touch sides no one will know that's what things like crown strikes sit in front of them for but but if you get a ransomware attack at the point you're figuring out how to deal with the ransomware attack it's already failed because it happened to you yeah so that 90% were like, yeah, I would be really comfortable with it. That just tells me you don't know what you're doing. And then the second half of the survey was, when we asked the questions in a different way or were more specific, that's when it started to get really worrying about these four-day statistics about we're only halfway along the journey. Yeah. Half of, less than half are halfway along the journey. Yeah, And it's at that point where you're challenging their misconceptions. But Without having to do this survey, there's a bunch of guys going, yeah, nine out of ten cases, we're golden. Yeah, 70% 70 of us put security first. Do you? Do you really? Yeah. I'm sceptical. Yeah. (laughs) No. Yeah. And it's brilliant. Um, Great survey, though. Must have been like a sucker punch when you got to the second half of it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so you think you're clever? (laughs) Yes. Have another read. But, yeah, that hubris in the first half was just like, oh, my goodness, you can't believe you're this secure. Yeah. That's your day-to-day But also, what is it your, um, again, we've written here, so uh, the 45% are only halfway through finishing securing their software supply chain. So if you've then got 90% saying that they are secure, hmm. what is it they're ignoring? So what have they prioritised? What have they kind of put in first in making, do you know? Like, and then what yeah. impact does that have on the rest of the supply chain if only half of it is secured? Because if you're trying to put in an, in like continuous loop or trying to put in some sort of automation framework, you kind of need the whole thing kind yeah. of end to end testing rather than yeah. just like picking and choosing what you put forward. Yeah, for a lot of these organisations, security is a penetration test at the end. Yeah. Like new, no. <laughs> you probably limited the scope of that to the bits that you care about and stuff. You know, it should be in from the first unit test as part of NFT. Yeah, you know, it should be in your design principles. It should be all the good practices around: is your code on a repo? Does that repo scan? You know, I mean, just security. If you're going to put it in fundamental, like you know, you talk to people about: do you build in quality from day one? Yeah, great. Can you show me your test automation parts? We don't do <laughs> test automation. Then you're not building quality from day one are you and there's nothing wrong with not doing that if you're if you're feeding and watering some insurance system that was written 40 years ago it's okay not to build in quality from day one you're keeping this thing alive with like you know a bit of bubble wrap and all that sort of stuff <laughs> Sticky dick. but but the um the, the idea that you just lull yourself into this view where you're like yeah we're completely secure and we build quality improvement. be honest yeah 
everyone has problems. Everyone has tech debt. Netflix probably has tech debt. Yeah. You know, but they <laughs> to just decide that it's fine. <laughs> Utterly terrifying. So this survey was great. You know, it's like, let me take you off down this path and then terrify you. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be terrified, uh, you can download the report for free. Great report. Yeah, we've dropped a link, um, the fourth link in the description, so check that mm. out. Uh, number five, last but not least, uh, we've got the game streaming service Twitch has become another name on a very long list of data leak victims. More than 100 gigs of data was posted online on Wednesday with some of the documents revealing how much Twitch's top streamers made by the Amazon-owned company in the past two years. Now, the reason this is such a big deal is because uh, Twitch is famously good at guarding its operation details, and it comes at a time when competitors such as YouTube Gaming are offering huge salaries to snap up the gaming talent, uh, so the fallout could be significant for the platform. Um, and what's actually quite refreshing is, is Twitch have actually confirmed the breach and said that they're working with urgency to get it um, obviously resolved and understand yeah. how it happened and make sure it doesn't happen again. So it's... It, it, I mean, the, the whole Twitch versus YouTube thing is genuinely interesting because it's like war by a proxy. Because mm. it's Amazon versus Google. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, it's interesting to see who eats each other's lunch more. So like... Google, everyone thinks you're a search engine. Mm -hmm. Two thirds of searches for a product you want to buy happen on Amazon.com, not on Google. Wow. You search Google to yeah. like find the Portuguese word for always, yeah. or, you know, that if you want to buy a product, yeah. two thirds of those searches happen up on Amazon.com. It's probably the most monetized search engine in the world. Oh, that's so true. I just think about my own behavior and probably, yeah. yeah. Now, when it comes to video streaming, everyone knows it's YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. But Twitch is a monetized platform. But there are different audiences though, right? So for Twitch is far more a gaming platform. Well, you, you see, yes, to some extent, but a lot of viewers on YouTube, like a lot of the long videos and the playlists are about games. They're oh. often play along. Yeah. So, um, you know, you'll see lots of things like Paradox Grand Strategy games where you can go start finishing a campaign in a mere three weeks of solid play. You know? yeah, yeah. And that's the kind of thing that people will Twitch stream. And then what they do is they chop that two and a half hour Twitch stream down into maybe five videos and yeah. they'll repost it on YouTube. I don't think they're supposed to. I think there's a thing about exclusivity of content, but it's one of those things that no one really cares about. Yeah. If you stream on YouTube, there's actually good videos on YouTube about guys weighing up the pros and cons of should I stream on YouTube versus Twitch. <laughs> And right. it's like, which one gets me the most cash and which one's reasonable about reposting content? And it's like, well, actually, it makes sense to carry on doing it on Twitch. Yeah. And the mistake, I think, that Google are making with this YouTube pitch to go, right, let's let's offer big salaries for people to move over to YouTube is the mistake they originally made when they came up with YouTube, which is to make their own programs. So you look at channels like Pro Home Cooks, which used to be the Brothers Green, you know, they sort of went, Let's have a cooking show. So they mm. hired these guys to do it. Now they've gone on and they've got a very successful channel on YouTube, but the value of the content on YouTube is any random can make the content and some of it will stick and some of it won't. Yeah. But to decide that you can pick the winner and then pay them for that is kind of like literally the lesson they should have learned originally when they were creating their own programs. Mm -hmm. And Twitch is similar, right? You, you create... You create it and see if it works. That, that's that's the value of these platforms. So maybe the thing they need to do is to make the 
cash better for people who stream and get big numbers yeah. rather than try and predict it and give them a salary. That's the only way they're really going to come like uh compete with twitch yeah but twitch has got a really good community and it's quite sticky um i mean the hate rates they're awful oh. um so like you're cracking away and you basically get because one of the values of it is the interaction you can see between the streamer and the people in the comments so the streamers know their job like to get a big audience they're doing what they're doing in terms of playing the game or whatever they're doing like maybe an unboxing video that would be amazing but, <laughs> but the point is they're keeping a view on the chat and people yeah. are asking them questions and they're responding to them and they it's not through. passive there yeah, yeah absolutely so what you get is like people jump in and just start spamming you with hate hey. and they have like friends who are mods who will try and ban those people out but they, you know they, they went on strike on twitch right, because yeah, they were, this. Yeah. yeah because twitch weren't doing enough to deal with the hate rate yeah. so you know, there'll be conversation about that, and that's one marvellous, that's far tough to do on YouTube, although if you go to the below the line comments on YouTube, they can be pretty horrific. We get a few on the old ECS YouTube uh, chat, which yeah, is no. just mind-boggling some of the stuff they say. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd I, understand if they accused of us being too boring, but we talk about tech, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah, some of the comments are kind of interesting, you're like, wow, you got a lot of time we should probably do one reading out the worst comments and running oh, through them. Absolutely. I'd probably enjoy that. Yeah. But yeah, but the, yeah, the point is the platform's kind of interesting, but, but Amazon earn a lot of money off Twitch. Yeah. Like per minute, their revenue is probably better than YouTube's per minute revenue. But YouTube is so much faster. Yeah. But yeah. So established. It, yeah. Again, it's kind of like watching Godzilla versus Kong and it's like, I don't really care who wins. Yeah. But... Been... That's what's really weird about it, actually, because I think as long as there's platforms in existence, I don't think consumers really mind too much. No. If, like, YouTube was suddenly disappear, yeah. I think everyone would just, yeah, okay, yeah. this is exactly what happened. WhatsApp. Yeah. Suddenly there was that scare that the data breach and it wasn't, like, end-to-end -end encrypted, so everyone moved to Signal within, yeah. like, a couple of hours. Yeah. And then everyone, like, again, the same the other day. WhatsApp we are, went down. Everyone we, moved back over to Signal. So we are promiscuous consumers. Absolutely, right? yeah. We are adaptable human yeah. beings. It's <laughs> like where, you know, like, Uber's like, oh, we've locked the market off. It's like, well, Sadly, you haven't, because yeah. by refusing to employ these people, you made it as easy as them downloading the Ola app as well and lift if they're out in San Francisco. Yep. And if you're not playing the game, they'll switch their services. Someone to else will get yeah, come forward. And you can cry and say, so, a lot of assumed outrage on behalf of consumers, right? Yeah. A lot of the Facebook stuff that we were talking about before with the algorithm is down to that. Yeah. Well, you know, if we took the algorithm away, we'd really upset the you. No, you wouldn't. Yeah. You never talk to them. The only time you ever talk to them is in like some heavily curated market feedback session where probably someone like Mark Zuckerberg or his even more evil CEO, Sheryl Sandberg, will be sat next to him going, and the person doing the market research is well aware they're behind that window and they will stare that room out. They want it staring. Yeah. You know, I mean. And yeah. even if they don't get the answers they want, they ignore them anyway. So yeah. it doesn't you matter. 99% of the world, do they care? No, so true, so true. And again, this is, I think, the, the conversation earlier about is CX dying from that webinar is it's trying to understand what consumers want, not what they tell you they want, but also you still have to ask the question and you can't, yeah. like, you assume it is equally as dangerous. Fundamentally, as you walk around your life finding so many little niggly things really annoying, whether it's your swipe card not working first time, yeah. whether it's getting your Oyster card to work at a barrier. It should just work. Why yeah. does it bounce every now and again? Whether it's the fact that your IT department decide to add another step before you can achieve a thing. Whether it's, <laughs> yeah. whether it's you know, going and tapping on the 
touch balls in a restaurant to order your meal and it never actually works. Yeah. Whether it's the Facebook algorithm, Twitter, I love Twitter, but I'm halfway through reading a thing and it suddenly disappears. Yes. The algorithm. Well, you can just never find it again. Yeah. The question should be for these companies, and people do get invested in it, we believe passionately in the value of the company that we work for. We love the community we've built and all this sort of stuff. Do our customers really care about the lovely environment we've built and how passionate we are? No, they care about the quality of the work we turn out. And the challenge for these companies, whether they're Google or Facebook or Amazon, should be, tell me the thing you do to make people's lives better. And if the answer is an algorithm with more specific content for them, no. Yeah, because the problem is they're they're just pushing mass consumption versus, so again, as you quite rightly just said about Twitter, if you're enjoying something or if you find value in something before you know it, it's it's disappeared. Mm. And so you're not looking to give customers value, Mm. what you're looking is to give them more stuff. I think if anything we've learned over life is that we have too much stuff. We are in a world of overconsumption. We can't handle it. Like We can't handle the amount of data we have. We can't handle the amount of toys and fashion and, you know, all these platforms, which are just... I would Easy like fewer things that just work. Yep, agreed. And make your life better. No, that is not what I'm giving. I'm Amen. Giving ways to put my hand in my pocket. Yeah, yeah, or on top of your head, put on your head. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have not. <laughs> yeah. See how stressed your life has exactly. been since Facebook yeah. came around. Um, that is unfortunately all the news we have. We do have a couple of ECS shout-outs. Uh, the first of which is Andy and Ben. The two of the Tech Cube podcast sat down with Matthew Skelton. Tell us a little bit about that session. What can our listeners look forward to? They can look forward to Matthew Skelton being as incredibly impressive as you would think he would be. And me and Ben kind of giggling and being a bit soppy, like, um, you know, that sort of archive footage of teenage girls when the Beatles were performing, you know? <laughs> we were a little bit starstruck. Um, but, you know, his insights were very interesting, and it was great. It, I mean, Teen Topologies is not necessarily an easy book to get to grips with. It's very well written, and you can read it, and it all made sense. But um, I'm deeply resentful of the fact that someone wrote a book that I was forced to engage with and reflect on my professional practice because it really made me think and I resent <laughs> that. Um, it, you know, it, it's not the kind of book that you will find on Blinkist because it's not easy to distill it into 15 minutes. Right. Um, it's a book that you need to read and think about, which is why it's so hugely popular with brilliant agile coaches and stuff. So our own Martina Sardoc. Mm-hmm. and um, Rob Thatcher, who works here, used to be a business partner of Matthews, and they've, you know, you can see the quality and why they take it so seriously. Um, it's just not a book that you can immediately just pick up and read on, like, a train journey for a few hours. You're not going to rattle through it. You need to think about it and work with it, and that's why it's so valuable. And talking to Matthew, we really got some of those insights, and he responded very well to some of the difficult, challenging questions that were put to him. But, yeah, I made far too many notes for what was supposed to be a broadcast. <laughs> basically ended up treating it as a learning experience. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, bear with me while I just make more notes, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, which is absolutely what you shouldn't be doing. So... It was really good. It was like, um, I, I love the one you did with Gene Kim. Yes. And it, it felt very similar to that. It yeah. was like just 
understanding some of the stuff because we talked about some of the stuff that he posts on LinkedIn and some of his blogs. It wasn't just about the content of the book, and it's interesting to see how his thinking is evolving. He's very open about the fact that he didn't get everything right in the book, and his thinking has evolved a bit. Yeah. And it was just a really nice interview. Admittedly, part of that would have been because me and Ben were kind of there going, completely stargazing. It's really interesting because we had a similar thing with Gene Kim, but he was just a, a, an incredible person. And not just simply because, obviously, he's put a couple of books out into the world mm. now about um, people and processes, mm. but also... very good at academic work. Absolutely. Yeah. But he knows so much about so much. And so when you're talking to him, he just pours these examples out of out mm. thin air. Well, for me, thin air. For him, obviously, his incredible brain. Um, and it just puts into perspective, I think, how he sees the world so differently. And again, that he spent 30 years learning yeah. And he's put some of these learners into books so that he mm. can try and pass on that knowledge to other people, but they don't stand still. And they're constantly iterative advancements mm. in kind of what he talks about, in his ideas, in mm. his strategies, but he never stops having conversations. And obviously, I think Matthew Skelton, I know, has been a couple of events as well. And you yeah. often find these kinds of like types of people at these large events because I think they reabsorb the information that they have and how different people are doing things. And I think what's brilliant about getting them on to the podcast mm. is again, we just get to pick their brain a little bit. Yeah, and and they believe what they're talking about, yeah. even where it might be controversial. So whether it's Gene Kim or Matthew Skelton or where we talk to sort of thought leaders in our chosen industry, like financial services, like Chris Skinner and stuff, it's yeah. like we'll say things that are not necessarily in their best interest because yeah. they believe it to be true and they're open about the internal debates they're having and to watch it, it's kind of inspiring because yeah. it's very easy to be told, well, you shouldn't say that because it might cause a problem with this customer. Or they want to, they don't want to be causing problems, but they want to cause disruption. If it's not yeah. working... Well, for the right reason. The they're right not reasons. just throwing out controversial statements for the sake of it. They're okay. saying, is this the right way to do it? Even though that might be considered professional heresy. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, so anyway, if you can't tell, it was very interesting to chat. <laughs> yeah. It might be awful to listen to, but Ben and I certainly had a great time, a great discussion with Matthew, and I'm fairly confident that his bits will be really interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, that should be out end of the month, yeah. a couple of weeks' time, so just keep an eye out for that. We'll I, I think out. it was wrong that our opening question was, why are you so great? But it wasn't, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Damn it, that was a missed opportunity. <laughs> Um, I actually think maybe that's the one to start with, is curveball, because I don't think anyone's actually got an answer ever ready for that one. So. Um, I did tell them off for writing a difficult book. Well, that's probably fair. Did laugh that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're also super excited to announce that the next of us playground was announced earlier today. So this is their <gasps> Thursday, 7th um, And what's cool about it? Everything. It's in person. It's in person. It's the first one back in the London office, which is so good. There's going to be pizza, there's going to be beer. There's going to be opportunities to come and meet our engineers, get some hands-on kind of tech support. Um, the hands-on tech support will also be available virtually. So if you can't join in person, don't fear, because um, it's going to be a hybrid event. It's going to be our first one. We're going to be live streaming from the London office, which we're so excited about. Might bring the panda out. Definitely bring in the panda out, 100%. Yeah. Um, but another part of this, which is so excited again, is that we got one of our partners on board. So this is now Ondat, who are formerly known as Storage OS, and they are doing a hands-on session with stateful apps and Kubernetes. Um, and we really can't wait. It's, we kind of seem to have fallen into a container series by accident. Last month was um, about Podman. This month we're talking about stateful apps on Kubernetes. And I believe the next one, November, is also something on containers. 
Um, but yeah, another thing to... I will never be able to explain to my family. I got caught in a rut. What was it? Containers. What? <laughs> yeah, the best thing anyone's ever sent me. So um, again, I work in marketing, so mm. I try and understand what my fellow engineers do, but uh, sometimes it does go right over my head. They sent me an image of a woman with a see-through handbag with a handbag inside, mm. and they just wrote, this is containers. And I was like, <laughs> I've got it. I've got it. Can we put that on the website? Can I, can I put that into my work? Um, so yeah, you can basically sign up now. We put a link again in the description. So save your space there. If you're coming to the office, it's really important you do that. Mm. Um, it's going to be COVID secure to make sure that everyone's feeling as safe as possible and uh, to have the same experience that hopefully we delivered prior to um, the pandemic. And we're really excited to see people back in the flesh. Very um, excited. Yeah. Very excited. Plus, as well, we get to show off our new office, oh, which isn't so sexy. new anymore. Well, it's not, no, but for a lot of people, it still is. Exactly. We've been here for like, what, a year and a half now, and this will be the first time we're having mass guest events. Absolutely. And we used to do that all the time. Yeah. Uh, so we've got this great space. So yeah, it'd be lovely to see everyone. Fill it up with people. Mm. Um, and the last thing to talk about here is, is we're hiring. So if you're looking for a new role in the world of digital transformation, you've come to the right place. Um, ECS is continuing to expand into the product and platform engineering space and we're really excited to be hiring for a number of roles to become to bring more engineers along on that journey with us we should just rename all our marketing to we're hiring like <laughs> in, in previous years we'd like do 20% growth every single year yeah so we're like always hiring like job adverts competency based interviews anyone you know have you got a pulse <laughs> yeah. this year we're on about 30 35 percent growth so it's like I your mean, grandma your grandma it, can it, come it, in we'll give her an interview don't, don't joke we'll take her through the academy right? <laughs> yeah you know i mean i mean we we um one of the reasons that i love you know, we've got such a diverse workforce because we're willing to look in places that other people aren't and then mm. spend the months training them and getting them the right behaviours and teaching them the tech yeah. because we just, you know, it, it, it's pithy, but victims of own success to an extent. So, yeah, 35% growth, like, we need people. <laughs> yeah. So if you're a person... Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> You can hit those difficult criteria of pulse and relatively warm-blooded. We're in. We're in. Um, So, no, uh, seriously, though, we've got a couple of roles, and they they come span across data science. We've got digital engineering. There's UX. There's a mixture of roles there and talents that we're after. So if you fancy joining Andy and Tebs, Andy and Tebs, Tebs and myself um, at ECS, we'd love to have you on board. So um, check out the job descriptions, see what's available, see what you love for the look of, and get in touch with our recruitment guys and um, start that process. That's it. Recruiting for days. Yeah. Recruiting for days, absolutely. Mm. And we'll just keep talking about the news. Yeah, that's it. Um, That's it. That's all the news that we have this week. We hope you've enjoyed um, this session. We said at the very beginning, it's very much about social media this week and kind of the moral obligations within that sector. We could have talked for hours about that kind of stuff. Again, Um, I just think, I'm very aware I just rant about that stuff. (laughs) Let's hope Facebook kind of gets out of the news. We have got something more to talk about next week. Um, I don't want that. I want them in the news forever. Forever. I loved uh, CNN anchor who said to Nick Clegg, I feel like I'm talking to a tobacco company executive. (laughs) And I think it's at that point that people start to get the message that you are not the good guys. Yeah. And if you want to be good guys, you're going to have to be the good guys. Stop putting doctors into your adverts, having a fag after work. Yeah. Yeah. Stop kidding yourself. You're good people. Get out there and do the good work. You know, I would I would like 
to live in a world where there are consequences. Yes, that would you be know, nice if to see. If you're a bad person, don't yeah. be upset that people don't invite you to their parties. And if your job is to monetize genocide effectively, don't expect to get invited to the party. And on that, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> enjoy yeah. the rest of your week. Yeah. And we'll catch up with you next uh, next week, yeah, with the with the rest of the Fitech Roundup news. Yeah. Take care. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye.